This is Dan McCarthy, and you're listening to the Check-In Podcast. There are so many tremendously positive people in the travel industry. It is something that undoubtedly comes with the job. Advisors and others will talk about the joy that comes with being able to help people plan and take vacations together, playing a part in facilitating the growth of connections both to others and to the rest of the world. But even when compared to the others that make up the industry, someone that stands out because of her positivity is my guest today, Vicky Free, the Senior Vice President of Sales and Trade Support and Service at Royal Caribbean International. If you have spent any time in the cruise industry's travel trade side in the past three decades, Vicky is a name you'll know well. Before her almost 14 years with Royal Caribbean, Vicky spent almost three decades with Carnival Cruise Line, cutting her teeth just so the industry really started to explode, and now seeing out what she called the toughest time, without a doubt, in the industry's history. She's seen the cruise industry transform itself over the last half a decade, becoming the go-to vacation segment for so many families, couples, groups, and solo travelers. She's had a direct hand in that growth, particularly on the travel advisor side of things. In the episode, Vicky was kind enough to share her story about how she never thought about a career in the cruise industry. She told me the plan was always sales, but it was never CCL. It was more like IBM as the goal when she was in college. But a fortunate crossing with Bob Dickinson, the former CEO and president of Carnival, when she was in her early 20s, changed all of that. Getting into the cruise industry wasn't extremely easy for her, and she's very willing to share how being persistent, very persistent, led to her first role with Carnival. That kind of attitude has no doubt helped her throughout her career, but something that she believes has been even more important has been her dedication to starting and building relationships. When I was researching this episode and reading interviews with Vicky from times throughout her career, a lot of things changed from her titles to the cruise line she was representing to the big features on these mega ships that she was selling. But one thing that remained consistent was her calling herself a relationship person, something that still remains to this day. I really enjoyed the conversation and I hope you do too. Let's check in with Vicky. Hey Dan, how are you? Hi Vicky, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, you're sounding great. I don't even know what we're talking about, but whatever it is, it's going to be fun. It's always fun to talk to you. I appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I'm a big fan of yours. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours, too. I, uh, I I saw you a couple weeks ago or last was last week. I'm, last week uh, was was in Vegas and Virtuoso. And you're are you back in Florida now? I am. And then I leave Sunday for Asta. And what yeah. about you? Yeah, I'm headed to Asa on Monday. Yeah, travels for me, travels all of a sudden picked up very quick, very, very quickly, um, which is a relief, I think. It, it does feel good to be back on airplanes and then seeing people out in person again. Definitely. Yeah, so I got some, I got some questions. I did some research on you, and I, uh -oh. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've spoken to you a couple times throughout my, my time in travel, but you, you obviously have uh, more years in the industry than I do. I could be your mother. That's pretty sad. <laughs> you have such, do you know how long you've spent not only just with Royal, but with, uh, in crew in the cruise industry? Oh, I do. I do. And it definitely gives away my age because I started right out of college. So yes. Uh, I say over three decades, it's actually four decades. Oh, oh. and you went to college in Colorado, right? I, I first went to San Diego state and then okay. I went to uh, CU in Boulder. Okay. And were you, are you from, are you from San Diego then? Is that why you ended up at San Diego State? 
No, I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up in LA. I'm a California girl, uh, but I went. I could only afford a state college. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up with wealth, and uh, I had to kind of put myself through school. And this was my opportunity. So, how was your experience in in Colorado? I know Boulder's sort of a unique place to to be at, at any point. Um, and I, I mean, I've I've never been to Colorado at all, except on layovers at the Denver airport. But how was how was it uh, spending time in Boulder? Oh, it was fun. I was uh, I was a skier, so I oh, liked okay. taking classes on Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and I would ski on the weekends. Um, but the real reason I transferred is um, the business school in San Diego was so crowded uh, that you had to stay in school for five years, and I could not afford to stay in school for five years. So I you know, had to transfer as a senior. And that's when I went to Colorado and I took those 3% college loans and I did pay them back. Um, but it was the only way I could graduate college in four years and get into the workforce. Well, that's, that's a difficult decision. I mean, to, to, it was, I mean, transferring your senior year of college seems like a big deal. It was kind of a big deal. Um, at, prior to that, you could bring in in San Diego, you could bring in a beach chair and you could crash a course and the professor would just sign you in. But as I was graduating, well, I was finishing my junior year, they said they will no longer allow you to crash a course and that you it would all be by credits. So there were a lot of people who had been five-year students and four-year students and six-year students who had a lot of credits. And I knew I was never going to get the necessary classes and I needed them. And I didn't need that many classes. I only needed, you know, 22 credits, which typically you would need 30. Uh, but when I transferred, my credits kind of did work for me in Colorado. Um, I did have to take more credits because I guess colleges don't want you switching as a senior to get a diploma from their college. So I wound up having to take uh, 33 units, which wasn't bad. And, uh, but it was all good and it was a great experience. And I feel very fortunate to have had that opportunity. Sort of similar to working at Carnival and then working at Royal Caribbean, you get two different views of two really great companies or in this case, two great universities. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, that is interesting. You, you said, so you said you were in the business school when it was hot. So was getting into the travel industry always the plan for you uh, through college? Absolutely not. I okay. thought that I was going to go to um, IBM or Xerox. Uh, I was always interested in sales. I didn't know anything about the cruise industry. The only thing I knew about was the love boat on television. I didn't even know anybody who had ever taken a cruise. Um, even my grandparents who were 60 years old, I thought they were too young to cruise. Um, so I just knew I wanted to be in sales. And then while I was in uh, my senior year at Boulder, I took a class and in that class, it was, um, they had an internship. You got credit for working in the community. And I worked at Boulder's Conference and Visitors Bureau. And through that, I got, you didn't get paid, but you got three units. And, mm -hmm. and through that experience, I was able to meet somebody who had been in travel. She said, you know, when you go back home for spring break, you really should interview with Peter Uberoff. Uh, he owns a travel company called Ask Mr. Foster. It was near where I lived in California. And so I did go in an interview with him and he offered me a job when I graduated. 
so I, in travel at, is a retailer um, in doing their groups. They had the bank travel clubs at that time. But, you know, I wasn't sure. And I was, you know, I was still interviewing with other companies. I was given an offer by IBM. I was also given an offer by uh, NCR, which was National Cash Register, which was the company that came out with the ATM. So can okay. you imagine had I started back then with them, all that stock options, but <laughs> My parents really wanted me to come back to Los Angeles. So I came back to Los Angeles, took the job with Ask Mr. Foster. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, somebody from the bank had called me and said they wanted to put together a group cruise. I knew nothing about cruising. And so it was at that point where I, you know, they were asking me questions like, well, what's an inside cabin? And I was like, I have no idea. So I asked my boss at that time if I could go to this cruise, all day cruise seminar. Um, and it was at the Century Plaza Hotel in Los Angeles. And, he, and I said, I need to learn about cruising. So he said, okay, go. And it was National Airlines. It was cruise, cruise week, but it was cruise day here. And they had 17 different cruise lines. And at that point, I heard... Uh, Bob Dickinson speak. And I thought, this is the man I want to work for. He was so dynamic and he made cruising. It was Carnival Cruise Lines. They were just a few years old and he just made cruising sound like it's everybody's vacation. And I went up to him after um, the presentation, the all day seminar. And I said, hello, you know, Mr. Dickinson, my name is Vicki Randolph and I want to work for you. And he went, he says, you want to work for me? I said, yes, I'm going to book you a group of a hundred people. And when I do, I'm going to expect a job with you. And he's like looking at me, goes, well, wait a minute. Do you have a resume on you? Now I'm 21 years old. Yeah. And I said, no, I don't have a resume. He goes, well, could you get me your resume tomorrow? I'll be at the Sheraton Universal in North Hollywood. I said, absolutely. He goes, okay, if you could get me a resume, um, that would be fabulous. So I'm thinking, oh my gosh, now I've been at my other job for like six weeks. And so the next day I had, and when I was in Colorado, one of the classes that I took was a salesmanship class. And so one of the projects was making resumes that really fit different companies and their personalities. So like when I applied for IBM, it was white paper, black ink. When I applied for Xerox, they were a little bit more liberal. It was uh, a buff color paper with brown ink. And so I had this travel brochure as my resume and it said a package for all seasons. And it was a, it, it looked like a travel brochure. It was like a number 10 folded uh, brochure and it had my picture on the front and it said my travel, like everything that was supposed to be resume talk, like your professional objective was like travel destination. Like where did I want to go? And for references, it said for more information, contact tour operator. And it was all of my references and oh, wow. uh, my, experience was my historical experience and you know so everything was in travel legal so this this resume when I sent it out cold I did get a lot of responses uh, from it and that was a project in school so I, that night I went home and I typed a cover letter and you know at that time you didn't have computers you were I was on an IBM Selectric and you know I had to have it perfect with no mistakes well the paper was blue paper so I had to keep redoing this so okay finally I get it done I had to be at work the next day at eight o'clock they started early so at seven o'clock in the morning, I drop off this resume in an envelope 
at the front desk at the Sheraton Universal. And it says to Mr. Dickinson, and I leave it at the front desk. At nine o'clock, I'm at work and I call the front desk and I said, has Mr. Dickinson picked up this envelope? They go, no, no, it's still here. And I said, okay. So now, you know, I'm thinking this guy's really forgotten me. I made such a big impression, but not really. So at 10 o'clock, I call back. Still, he had not picked it up. Now I'm thinking, how do I ask my boss for lunch at 10 o'clock? You know, I was so new in this company and I'm, I'm a very by the rules kind of girl. Mm-hmm. So there's no way I could do that. So at um, 10.30, I called back and still he had not picked it up. So you knew he forgot me, which was really a shame. Um, and then at 11 o'clock, I called back and I'm like, could somebody please deliver this to the ballroom? And so they said, we're short staffed today. We don't have anybody that can deliver it. So finally at 11.30, I called back don't think badly of me, Dan. I I said, hello. I said, this is Mr. Dickinson's secretary and I'm calling from Miami, Florida. And there is an envelope at the front desk that has his airline tickets in it for today's flight. He needs to have this envelope ASAP. Well, now they moved on it and they catch him as he's getting into the car with Bruce Nuremberg, who at that time was the VP, I think at Norwegian Cruise Lines. And he gets into the car um, with him and they open up this resume and again it was a clever resume so it stood out and uh, they're both like according to Bob they're both fighting over this okay. in the meantime Bob hung on to it and then I followed up and I followed up and you know that's I guess the sales part of me um, I called him I said hi Mr. Dickinson this is Vicki Randolph he goes hi Vicki you can call me Bob I said okay Mr. Dickinson and this you know so for weeks I followed up with him And then finally in September, this was in July when I first met him. And then I met the local sales rep there, Mark Marino. And then in September, I sent him a telegram. There was no uh, emails back then. And I said, dear Mr. Dickinson, my anchor is up and I'm ready to dock with Carnival Cruise Lines. I hope your compass is pointed in my direction. So he did get this. It was a it was a fax and uh, so, uh, or telegram, I, I think it was a fax. And okay. so the next week I call him and I mean, I was always chasing this guy. He was going to eventually have to hire me because I was driving him. <laughs> I, I wasn't stalking him, but close. Okay. Yeah. It's a fine um, line between so, stalking and yeah, chasing. So finally, um, I did, uh, I flew to Arizona to go to Travel Age West. And he said, can you get to Arizona to go to Travel Age West so that we, you can meet the rest of the, the carnival team? I said, oh, absolutely. I was going to figure out a way. Now, again, I was 21 with no money, but I asked my boss if I could help. They were having a booth at Travel Age West. And I said, can I help? And he says, oh, absolutely. But, you know, we'll only pay for your airline ticket, and uh, but we're not going to pay for any of your expenses. Uh, but they did pay for a hotel. Okay, so now I meet the rest of the carnival team. And I think, okay, I'm in, but I'm not in. So finally, I call um, Bob back on a Friday. And I said, hi, Mr. Dickinson, this is Vicki Randolph. And, you know, I'm just checking in with you. Now everyone's back in there. I'm back in LA. He's back in Miami. And he says, well, Vicki, call me on Monday. Or he goes, I'll call you on Monday. He goes, I'll call you on Monday and let you know if you've got the job. So now it's Friday. He's offered the job to somebody else. And I couldn't believe this. Now, I don't know this until next week. 
And so this is my whole philosophy, never give up. So um, he offered it to somebody and she worked for National Airlines and she flew to Canada to go visit her folks. And she met with the Canadian sales rep who at Carnival had just been awarded the, um, the sales rep of the year. And so she starts talking, this girl, I do know her name, but to keep to protect the innocent, I won't say she starts talking about the salary that Bob offered her to the girl, Lynn, who was the carnival rep. And it was more money than Lynn was making. So big mistake. Don't ever discuss salary. And Lynn called Bob Dickinson the next day and said, Bob, how can you offer so-and-so more money than you're paying me? And I'm your salesperson of the year. So Bob on Monday withdrew the offer to this girl because she really did upset the apple cart. So on Monday, I call Bob and he's, you know, he says, uh, we're, we're still deciding. We will let you know on Wednesday. So now it's Wednesday, October 17th, 19th. Oh, I don't even want to tell you the year because it'll tell everybody how ancient I am. So he calls me on that Wednesday. I cannot believe it. The receptionist said, uh, Vicki, we have a Bob Dickinson on the phone for you. I was like, oh my God. So he, um, I said, hi, Mr. Dickinson. And he goes, hi, Vicki, you can call me Bob. I said, okay, Mr. Dickinson. And he goes, I wanted to tell you, welcome aboard. We are so happy to hire you as a Southern California sales rep. And from there, he said, we need you here a week from today. We have a brand new ship starting service, the Festival. And I said, oh, but Mr. Dickinson, I have to give two weeks notice. He goes, well, how long have you been there? I said, like three months. He goes, you don't have to give two weeks notice. He goes, if they need you to work that extra week, he goes, then when you come back to Los Angeles after the inaugural, you can go work for it. And that, that whole meeting of Bob Dickinson changed my entire career. So I leave, you know, I start out as a sales rep and it, and never did I expect to be in the role I'm in. And I'm so grateful for the travel agents and they were called travel agents at that time who truly supported my journey. And that's why I am here to serve travel agents uh, for the rest of my career because I believe in them and they believed in me. Yeah, that is a great, that is such a great story. And I mean, I, I feel very fortunate to hear it. I do have two questions. You were, so you were very bold as a young, young, early 20 year old person. And I'm, I'm curious how in the position you are in now, how do you, how would you approach someone coming up to you the same way you, you went up to Bob Dickinson? Um, I mean, what's, what's the line between being persistent and being a, being a bothered to, to you in your position now? Well, I, I don't know that you can ever be a bother unless okay. you really go to someone's home and stalk them out. Um, I have people that really want a job and, you know, if they're clever and they're, I don't want them like hawking me every day, but if they send me notes and, and are clever, I, they get, they stand out. And when someone stands out, I want to know them better. And I will meet with everybody. I return phone calls and people send me cold call emails. I do return calls because I think that is a part of my brand. It's who I am. I'm very authentic. I think I'm approachable. I hope I'm approachable. And so um, I don't know that I would ever think someone is too bold in wanting a career or a job. Okay. And my other question is, what if the other... What if the conversation about the salary never happened with the other candidate? I'm, I'm wondering, do you have any idea of what your future would have held after that? Do you think you eventually would have landed in the cruise industry or with, with Carnival anyway? 
I would have because I would have I would have just stayed top of mind. So when this other gal didn't work out, <laughs> I would have had a job. Uh, or maybe when they expand territories. I mean, I had people at Carnival. Uh, I had a young lady who were who interviewed. She was the second choice. She did not get the job. But you know what? When we expanded the territories. I, she was the first person I called and she accepted and she wanted to be in our salesperson of the year and she wow. wanted to be in a really good hire. So you never know when other opportunities come open doors for you. Yeah, I think that's good advice for, for everyone too. And I know you hold the a CTC designation. You still hold it, it correct? I do. I'm a lifetime member. Yeah. And is, how important is that to you, especially in the role you are now speaking with advisors? I mean, you... I, it feels as, as a pre something that you're very proud of. I am proud of it because I, you know, I'm, and the motivator was here I was in Southern California as a sales rep yeah. and the travel advisors used to get together uh, to, to learn about the CTC. A lot of the stuff did not really apply to me like airline stuff and, and things of that sort, but it was a way for me once a week to meet with a group of travel advisors who were very committed to their education. And through their commitment, I was committed. And so it, it served two purposes. I learned more about the industry, but I also got to be very close with this group of travel advisors. It is, it is nice hearing those stories because I, I, I've spoken to another, a number of high-level executives who have who started their career as selling travel as a retail travel agent. I mean, I just spoke to Ellen Betridge, who, who had, who had that, a sort of a similar experience before she joined American Express. Um, what, why, what do you think is unique about sort of starting out in the travel industry as a frontline advisor or someone selling travel? Do you think, do you think it gives you a leg up or it gives you the experience you need to succeed in the industry? Um, I think, you know, I think there's so many different paths that people can yeah. go in their career. For me, understanding um, the job of what a travel advisor does, it gave me more empathy and it gave me more knowledge and it gave me um, the ability to, to see it from their eyes. And I think when you can see the experience from somebody else's eyes, you learn more and you can um, help them. I mean, I think I've earned the reputation, I sure hope I have, where travel advisors can pick up their phone and call me. I give them my cell, I give them my personal email. And if they say, Vicki, I'm stuck, I need your help. I say this every week on my coffee talks, call me or send me an email and leave me your phone number and I'll call you. I don't want travel advisors being stressed out. I realize these are stressful times. They're stressful times for me, for everyone, but I have the resources of a team here that can help the travel advisor. And so I think it just gives you empathy. Yeah, I read an interview with you that you did in 2008, which is 13 years ago at this point. And it's, it was very nice doing research on you because you are quoted a number of times like, I could follow your career pretty easily when I was researching uh, before this interview, um, but you called yourself a relationship person and that was something you, you, you wanted to make sure people knew about you. And it still seems like that's something you, you, you would consider yourself a relationship person. I think life is built on relationships and I think success is built on relationships. And I think people want to do business with people who they like. And, you know, I, I think that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, do you have any advice for people who want, who maybe, you seem like a natural a gifted person when it comes to speaking with people, to be, to building relationships, to being, to making yourself available. I, I'm sure you, you've built up a skill. It's a skill as well, but do you need advice for people who maybe don't see themselves as a relationship people when they look in the mirror and, and find that as a difficult part of their careers, networking, reaching out, 
contacting people, like maybe introverts, maybe people like that. Do you have any advice? Well, you know, most salespeople are, are shy. I'm shy. But you know what? I, what I found is if you just make the small steps to try and build a relationship or connect, even not a relationship, right? If you just connect with people, they're going to be appreciative. You know, I oftentimes tell travel advisors, just pick up the phone and, and call someone and say, hi, Dan, it's, it's Vicki Fried. And I was just thinking about you. I just wanted to check in and see how you're doing. If I call you and say that, are you going to feel I'm pushy? You're not going to feel I'm pushy. You're going to say, wow, that was so nice of her to give me a call. And for no other reason that I was just thinking about you. And that's how easy it is. Uh, yeah, that, that's good advice too. Because I, I find myself sometimes struggling with that, I think. And uh, I do, I, I have, I think I've been making effort to sort of get out of that. But uh, it is difficult sometimes, I have to, <laughs> I have to say. Um, but I guess small steps is the right way to look at it. Um, so another interview I read with you that I want to ask you about, it was a Baltimore Sun interview in 1999. And the topic was these new smoking rules on cruise ships and how they're going to be this dramatic change to life on board. Um, and I don't want to talk about that because I don't, I think that's sort of a small thing, but just because of the years you've been able to spend in the cruise industry, you've seen these big changes in the consumer experience. And I'm wondering, what do you think the biggest change has, has been that you've seen in the consumer experience on board? cruise ships in general um what have what have you seen what have you heard from consumers from advisors that that sort of sticks out in your mind well i think there are so many uh experiences that have ultimately changed the industry whether it's new builds like the oasis of the seas for sure that that class of ship changed the industry but it, it you know dining you know dining used to you know in the early days of cruising it was breakfast lunch and dinner in the main dining room if you wanted to go to the lido it was hot dogs and hamburgers and if you were lucky you got french fries um and there was always a midnight buffet i mean nowadays you don't have midnight buffets you have pizza uh, available at the different venues and you have food available but i think the whole dining experience evolved to fit today's consumer and it needed to it used to be that people would think about cruising for the newlywed and nearly dead and nobody in between. And yet look at today, it's a family vacation. There's so many different options and uh, activities on board. Um, it used to be entertainment was just a juggler or a comedian. And nowadays you have Broadway musicals. So the entire industry has changed to give, I guess the consumer more choice and options when they take a vacation. Yeah, and you've seen, I'm sure you've seen the market share of, of vacations for cruising increase throughout your career too. Um, and is, is, is that just chalked up to, to what you just spoke about, giving consumers more choices on board? Start, I mean, I can't imagine the industry 40 years ago or 30 years ago is, is recognizable at all to what the industry looks like today. If you get on an Oasis-class ship, I imagine it would, it would seem like a different world from the people who were getting on the ships uh, three decades ago. Oh, I mean, for sure. When I started in the industry, less than 3% of the population had cruised. Now it's almost 30% have cruised. So yes. And why has that happened? I think cruising became more mainstream as a vacation. I also believe the value proposition on all cruise lines is there. So when you look at what's included in the price of the ticket, you get an incredible ROI on the vacation dollars. And I think I do have to say it's also the travel advisors, you know, for our brand at Royal Caribbean and our corporation, we do rely more on the travel advisors. Uh, that's the, the group we put our money on. That's who we bet on. And so for us, the travel advisors have also helped us grow the industry. Yeah. Do, do you remember the first ship you were able to step on? 
I do. It was the festival. It was that inaugural. Um, and I was like, wow. And I, I couldn't believe it. That was an old ship. It was the Vol that had been redone as the festival. But then shortly after that, uh, Carnival invested in a brand new ship. They were the first ones to really build brand new hardware for the market. And that was the Tropical. And that was really a state of the art. It was really a wow ship at that time. But you know, now it would be probably close to a, a lifeboat on the Oasis class. <laughs> Yeah, that uh, I've heard a number of experiences about people with early cruise, and it's just the industry seems very primed to take off. Hopefully, once once we put COVID in in far in the rearview mirror, I think there's just so many there's so much capacity coming on board. There's so many headline grabbing ships from Royal and from every brand coming on board. It has to be very exciting to be to be able to work in the cruise industry even now with all this with with these clouds still hanging over from COVID. Oh, absolutely. Listen, this is the toughest time we've ever experienced as the industry. We've gone through 911. We've gone through, you know, a lot of bumps in the road, but this one this has been here a long time now, but we are going to get out of it. And, you know, I'm excited about that. And I really am. Is it going to be hard? Yeah. Do I wake up in the middle of the night thinking, oh, my God, what a mess we are in. But you know what? We're coming out of it and we're doing it with protocols and we're doing it with safety and health and the guests in mind and the crew. And we're going to get there. And, you know, those travel advisors that are part of this time, they're going to remember how hard it was. And really, isn't it the journey? not the destination that matters. The journey to get us back into this industry in a very robust way is going to be unbelievably fun, hard, but we're going to get there. We're going to look back at this time and we're going to say, oh my God, we did it. I hope so too. I mean, hearing hearing you say that, hearing Matthew Upchurch uh, last week talk about how he had those thoughts at 3 a.m. and he's, su he's such a big figure in the industry too. It, it is, it is, it's humbling for me to hear people of such great stature like you two speak about sort of the worries you've had, because I think everyone in the industry had the worries, especially very early in the pandemic. Absolutely. And, and the people I worried the most about were the travel advisors, because we have, even though we're losing billions of dollars, we have the ability to go to the markets and to get capital. The travel advisors don't always have that same ability. And that was why Royal Caribbean came with our, out with RCL Cares, which was an interest-free loan program to our travel advisors, just to help them bridge this time when there wasn't much activity. Now we're paying 12% on that money. So it's not interest-free to Royal Caribbean, but it was the right thing to do because to have the travel advisors be able to remain in business so that we can get over this hump and get back to business was critically important to our success. And we cared about the travel advisors. You know, we've been in business over 50 years and we, we didn't become successful on our own. We became successful through the help and the support and the loyalty of travel advisors. So now is our time to give back. Yeah, it was that was such a unique program because we've seen policy changes, but we've never seen sort of that kind of direct outreach to advisors. I, at least I haven't seen it in my time in the industry. I mean, how what was what was the decision making process like that buildings that that sort of outreach program? We were talking about the travel advisor every day and we were meeting with Richard Fain once a week and he was saying, okay, what are we going to do to support the travel advisors? And we would present different ideas. He goes, no, we cannot make it tied to a booking. We have to help them during this time period. And we were protecting commission on canceled bookings. We were giving them FCCs, but when they rebooked, they were going to get a protected commission on the same booking, the same money. 
And he said, no, we got to do something more. And he really pushed us and he challenged us. And then he says, I want a loan program, but I want it to be an easy loan program. I don't want them to have to fill out a lot of forms. And I want it you know, to be interest-free and they don't have to even think about paying us back for a year. And so it, it was Richard that pushed us and we finally came up with a program. And I have to tell you, it wasn't an easy program to administer. Um, there are, we're not, there's lending laws and you can't yeah. give my people money. And yeah. we had to get uh, qualified in every state. And, and finally, I don't even know that we ever made it to California. That was the hardest state for us to get clearance through. Uh, Canada came through at the very end, um, but we really, uh, we had $40 million set aside for our travel advisors. Yeah, going from, I mean, you're operating as a cruise line, you're sailing ships, things get shot down, and then you're, you, you shift gears to essentially become a, a bank for, for a lot of advisors. That, that's just, it's an incredible thing to do. It was the right thing to do. And doing the right thing is always the good thing to do. And I quote that uh, from Richard Payne. He always says that doing the right thing is the good thing to do. So I have a few more things I wanted to ask you, and I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But when I saw you a couple of weeks ago, you mentioned how being positive is a choice. And I think I understood that to be true, but you just put it the way it just seems so easy and simple. And I'm wondering, like, where did where does that come from from you to, to, to choosing to be positive um, and to knowing that that having a positive attitude is a choice and not something you're just going to you're just going to have or you're going to wake up with? I guess it just comes from internally. I didn't get that necessarily from my parents. Uh, I, I just I, I just have always felt like you you wake up every day. You have a choice. You can be happy. You can be sad. You can be grumpy. You can be, you know, yeah. excited and so I don't know it's just something I think about all the time I I want to be a positive person I want people around me to want to be around me and if you're if you're negative people don't want to be around you there had to be some difficult times not only during COVID but through your career where that that had to be a, a hard choice to make a hard choice to be positive yeah I mean there was an occasion I remember where Somebody did, when I jumped ship from Carnival to Royal Caribbean, everybody at Royal Caribbean was really thrilled to have me there. But there was somebody who did not want me to succeed. And this individual was always putting the knife in my back. And I was thinking, wow, you know, I thought I brought, you know, a pretty good reputation to Royal Caribbean. And I did everything in my power to win this, try to win this individual over. I never could. And then I realized that this was this individual's problem. But it was hard because I'm one that likes to succeed. And I thought, I gotta, I gotta win this individual over. And I never could. This person wound up leaving Royal Caribbean. So that sort of solved my problem. But, you know, sometimes you don't win them all, but you got to move on. And, you know, I'm very grateful to have Dondra Ritzenthaler, who's my, you know, counterpart at, at Celebrity as my BFF. She's fabulous. I have an amazing team of people that I work with, my direct reports. Um, so we're really blessed to be surrounded by people who have that positivity and, and feel, and we all have one another's back. And really, isn't that what life is about, to support one another? Is that something you look for in your hires? You look for that attitude, the positive attitude, and and, and you to people to fit that kind of culture at Royal? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Your attitude defines everything because you can learn, you know, I'll never forget. I asked Bob Dickinson, Bob, 
why did you hire me at 21 years old with no experience? And I didn't even know what a cruise ship was. And he said, you know, Vicki, it was your enthusiasm and your attitude is the reason I hired you. I could teach you what the cruise industry was about. I could teach you the skills, but I could never teach you enthusiasm, passion, and positive attitude. So that's it. So I want to ask you, because I, again, it, it was very easy to follow your career and travel, but I, I was wondering what, what things are important to you outside of the industry. I know you sit on a couple of non-travel related boards. Um, I mean, why, what things are important to you that, that you make sure you have time for outside of work? You know, I, I do make the time. I, um, I do sit on some charitable boards and I think it's important. And this I also learned from Bob Dickinson. I know you guys are going to think I'm a Bob Dickinson fan, but I am a Bob Dickinson fan. In fact, I'm having lunch with him tomorrow, so I still stay in touch with him. Uh, but Bob used to talk about the circle of life and how you had to look at your life as a circle and carve out pieces of the pie that really defined your life. So your job was a piece. It should never be your whole life. Giving back to your community, uh, your religion, your family and charitable. And you know, Bob used to say, we don't get to pick our gene pool. We are born to the families, the mom and dad that we are born to are the people that we're born to. So you don't get to pick your gene pool. So giving back to people who are less fortunate is so important. So I sit on uh, children's adoption and foster care board. I've sat on uh, the Make-A-Wish board for nine years in the past. And I think it's important to give back because we have the ability to. And not everybody has the money to give back, but people can find the time to give back. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that balance? I mean, you mentioned a slice of the pie in your life. And I've heard sort of different analogies for, for a time in your life and how you choose to spend it. I mean, is that is, is the balance difficult for you sometimes in such a high level position? And uh, especially when hours, I'm sure hours are, are, are heavy now with capacity coming back online and COVID crisis very much not over. I mean, is balance difficult to do uh, work life balance? Of course it is. And we never have enough time in the day, right? We're in bed with our iPads doing those last minute emails and then we wake up in the morning and there's more emails and uh, it is hard to balance. But I don't think it's now is your personal life, now is your work life. I think it's all blended together. But I do think it's important to take the time to be thoughtful to other people, to remember them, um, just to pick up the phone and and yeah, and to, do, and to serve others. I mean, really, at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, what are people going to remember you by? Are they going to remember you by that you did nothing but work your entire life? Or are they going to remember you by how kind you were and what you gave to others and how you helped others? And that's why I'm at a point in my career that helping other people with their careers um, not necessarily being a mentor, but helping other people grow in their careers is so important to me because I was given that opportunity at age 21. I owe it to other people to give them that same opportunity. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, you, you've spoken about Bob Dickinson a number of times in the interview, and I'm sure you want to serve as that figure to somebody else younger in their careers. I do. Yeah. I think it's important because what if, what if he wouldn't have given me this opportunity I could still be flipping burgers at McDonald's, which I did when I was 16 years old. I think that, so that was my last question and you kind of answered it is, I mean, what kind of legacy do you want to leave in the travel industry in, in the cruise industry? I mean, how do you, is, is it what you just said, how you, how you, you want people to remember you as 
is kindness first and relationship person and things like that. Yeah. And that she was always there to help me, to support me, to cheer me on. She made a difference in my life. Those are the things that you hope that's your legacy. Yeah. And uh, I hope it is my legacy. And uh, I care about this industry, but I care about the people even more. And I, I think that's a great way to end it. I really, it was incredible to talk to you and to hear your story. I really do appreciate the time. And you've always, you, for me, you've always been definitely the first thing that comes to mind as a relationship person. And I can't thank you enough for taking the time just to talk to me today. Well, it's been a privilege and thank you, Dan. And you know, I have to say something about you right now because I met you when you were first coming on to the, into the travel industry and you have really become an, a, you know, a very important journalist in our industry and somebody who has uh, taken himself and become a brand. And I'm, I'm so proud of your success. And I mean that sincerely. I've said that to you in an email before. I've told you that in person. Um, but, you know, I'm all about branding you and you have branded you. Um, and as a brand, you have really uh, helped travel advisors through this very challenging time with your podcast. And I'm proud to see you be so successful. I'm your, cheerleader. I'm your cheerleader on the side. I really, I really very much appreciate it. It's, it's always fantastic to, to, to see your name pop up my email, on my email box. Um, a lot, I know you mentioned a lot of emails come in and some of them are, are, are more of a pleasure to read than others. And yours, yours are definitely that kind of, those kind of emails. Yeah, so I, I'm sure I'll see you soon. But again, thank you so much, Vicky. And hopefully I'll, I'll see you next week. All right, I'll see you at ASTA. All right, Take have care. a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye.